The following presentation by Monument Wealth Management, LLC, is intended for general information purposes only. Please listen to additional important disclosures at the end of this presentation. Welcome to Off the Wall, a podcast aimed at helping you answer the question, what is the point of my wealth? And what steps can I take to make that vision a reality? With over 25 years of combined experience in wealth management, David Armstrong, co-founder of Monument Wealth Management, and Jessica Gibbs, vice president and partner at Monument, are skilled at helping people think through these challenging but important questions. Interested in learning more? Connect with us on Instagram, at Monument Wealth, and follow along at MonumentWealthManagement.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave and Jessica. Welcome back to Off the Wall. I'm Jessica Gibbs. And I'm Dave Armstrong. And today we have Aaron Hay, Monuments Portfolio Manager. He's back with us. Hey, Aaron. Hey, guys. Good to be here. So we are recording this episode on the afternoon of Wednesday, May 25th. And I do want to acknowledge yesterday's heartbreaking tragedy in Uvalde, Texas, which hits home to me in particular as a mom. So while talking about the market does feel trivial in light of children being killed, it is our job. So, and there's obviously been a lot of volatility in the market recently, and we wanted to record a short podcast with our thoughts on this. So to start, Dave and Aaron, for anyone who's been purposely avoiding news about the market's ups and downs, give us a quick rundown on what's been going on. It would be very hard for anybody to avoid the news this year with the way the markets have been performing. In fact, for all of the major U.S. equity averages, 2022 ranks among the worst first 100 trading days starts to a year on record. That's just unbelievable that the first 100 trading days are so bad in 2022 that it's a record. Following prior weakest starts to a new year for the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, the rest of the year returns have been weaker than average. However, the Russell 2000 has posted better than average returns. But a lot of people are in those tech and NASDAQ and big name S&P 500 stocks. So the statistics say that the rest of the year is probably going to be weaker than average. That doesn't mean it will be. It just means that's in the past. That's what's happened. And the last 100 trading days for the S&P 500 have been among the weakest for any period since the five trading day week first started all the way back in 1950. Following those periods where the S&P 500 first fell more than 15%, forward returns have actually been better than average. So there's a point and counterpoint there with the statistics and everything, but the reality of it is no one knows what's going to happen. It could get better from here and we may have seen the bottom. It could certainly get worse. And we talk about some of those things in a few of the blogs Aaron and I have written lately, but we just figured we would also cut a pod on this and talk about it. Aaron, I don't know if you want to jump in there at this point and talk about some of the things that you're thinking about and reading. You hit the nail right on the head. First off, shout out to Bespoke Research. A lot of the stats that we throw out on this podcast come from them. They are (laughs) pretty awesome authority on these what I'll call market almanac or farmer's almanac type of stats. It hasn't been a great market environment year to date. It's very obvious. Dave and I were talking before the podcast that there's really been no place to hide. It's not like you're seeing certain sectors of the market that are down 20, 30%. You're seeing other sectors that are up materially. No, like, of course, you've got technology sector, financial services, some of those sectors that are down more than others, but even utilities, staples, those are down as well. Energy, which had been up to one point this year, positive territory, 
I believe, Dave, I think you were running down the sectors of the S&P. That's actually flat to down now, too, if, if I'm not mistaken. So outside of actually being short the market, there really hasn't been too many places to hide out, so to speak. And as we've covered in some of our other writings, too, bonds, and this is kind of can be a tricky topic for most people, but if you're just looking at the bond market and bond market returns, bonds, at least on a transitory mark-to-market basis, have been a loser as well. So if you look at all of the sectors of the S&P 500, while the S&P 500 is down around between 17 and 18% of the year right now, I haven't seen how things close since we started this podcast, but call this call 17 or 18% down in the year, we're pretty close to, and we actually did, I think on an intraday basis, touch into a 20% drawdown from the all-time high, which is the classic definition of a bear market. Let's not parse words here. I mean, at one point, the S&P 500 was down over 20% from its all-time high. So let's just call it what it is. It's down 20%. Let's just call it a bear market. But a lot of the S&P 500 sectors, they have not even come close to hitting that 20% pullback. So I think a lot of people's feelings on how bad this is, is a function of some concentration in those big tech names that we all know and how much they have just been crushed this year. And of course, the S&P 500 being a market cap weighted index, the biggest stocks have the biggest impact on the market going up and down. And we all know what those big stocks are, Facebook, Google, Amazon, Netflix, things like that. So you've got the consumer discretionary sector is down 33% off of its high. And then you've got the tech sector, which is also another very heavily allocated sector in people's portfolios down, I'm just going to round up to 25%. It's down 25% off its all-time high. So those two sectors are technically in a bear market, but you've got some other ones like energy, pretty much flat for the year. Sorry to step in here, Dave. Yeah, we were actually looking at a different ticker there. So I misspoke earlier. All of the sectors we talked about are either down 20 to 30% as we talked about consumer discretionary tech. We misspoke on energy. Energy is by far definitely not flat year to date. It's actually the lone bright spot. So if you look at XLE, which tracks the oil and gas space, that's actually up 55%. So misspoke on that one. I'm talking about from its all-time high. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So let me clarify. It's basically trading at its all-time high right now. If it's flat, it's at its all-time high. So to clarify for anybody listening. So I was talking about off all-time highs. Yeah. If you went and you looked at performance year to date and that sector, then you are absolutely correct. Actually, Aaron, you're not correct. It's up 54.99%. Okay. So I was going to say, like, I just want to make sure that we're squaring for everyone who's listening. (laughs) Yes. Precision is important. Yes. Right. Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, you look back at the consumer discretionary, it's down 30% just on the year. Anyway, just some interesting. And when I say the index, okay, to clarify, just to be really accurate here, Aaron and I are using the spider ETF ticker. That's just a good gauge to look at those different sectors. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about these returns, if anybody's trying to track exactly what we're talking about here. That's pretty tough. And if you think about some of those big names that we were talking about before, year to date, I will go back to off the percentage high. So since it's all-time high, Netflix down 72%, Apple down 23%, Microsoft down 24%, Amazon down 42%, Facebook down 50%. I mean, Tesla, NVIDIA, both close to down 50%. These stocks have completely, they have seen all of the gains 
that they experienced in the pandemic have been completely wiped out in calendar year 2022. And a lot of people own those stocks and those are big heavy weights in the S&P 500. So they're dragging them down too. That's really making it seem even more painful than it really is. What you're kind of bringing up here, Dave, you're talking about some of these pandemic darlings, some of these tech stocks, work from home stocks, people made a lot of money on them during 2020 and 2021. It seemed pretty obvious on what to buy, but what people often overlook is, hey, when do you sell? You'll often hear us talk about having a buy discipline, but also having a sell discipline because you can't eat your returns. And you're seeing in this market year to date, people have given back most of, if not all of the gains that they've acquired, those paper gains over the last two years. And they just simply haven't had a sell discipline. I'm not saying that Monument gets every single stock buy and sell entry and exit right. I'd like to think that we've got a pretty good process in terms of buy and sell disciplines. Something else I want to cover here too, Dave, we talked about this as well. We talked about the broader indices, just sort of what's going on with some of the more famous indices or sectors or like technology names that people might know. But talking a little bit, just what's going on from a narrative or a, a sentiment standpoint, it's always hard to completely disaggregate what is driving a market. Some people will claim it's valuations are driving the market. Some people will claim it's fundamentals. Some people will claim this is a momentum-based market. And some people will claim this is all about sentiment now. And my personal take on this, and Dave, I'd like to get yours as well. I think we've both got some anecdotes on this. This has kind of turned into a sentiment-driven market. And I'm going to shut up here after my quick little anecdote. But for listeners who don't know, I actually live in Austin, which has kind of become a little bit of a, oh, I don't know, a mainstay for the tech industry and some of the, the cryptocurrency industry. I don't think it has quite the cachet that Miami has. You see these billboards everywhere in Austin sponsored by this group called CryptoIsReal.com. And they've got these inspirational messages on them. Stuff like, it's risky to not invest. I'm making that up. Not risky to not invest in Bitcoin. I do know for a fact that one of the taglines is, Crypto is annoying until crypto is inspiring. And I'm starting to wonder how many people are feeling inspired in their cryptocurrencies and their Bitcoin right now. The friends that I used to get pinged all the time with them making unreal amounts of money in Coinbase and their quote unquote altcoins and Dogecoin. Everyone knows there's a lot of these speculative type of cryptocurrency investments out there. I'm hearing crickets right now. If anyone's on Twitter and you go read some of the more famous or infamous crypto luminaries, a lot of them put these laser eyes on their profiles to signify their unwavering belief in crypto. And God love them. There's still a few of them out there, but those laser eyes are few and far between. So my point on this is that sentiment with crypto getting absolutely killed year to date, I think you're seeing a lot of that spill over into the stock market and people who are kind of tourists, so to speak, your people who got in on the quote unquote meme stocks back in 2020 and 2021, they are slowly but surely giving back all of, if not even more than they put in, all of their gains, and they're actually losing money now. In fact, Dave, you might have seen this last week. I think it was Morgan Stanley, one of the big sell side groups, did some type of a study and they came out officially and said, hey, listen, all of these cohorts that were making money on GameStop, on AMC, on these other meme trades, they've given it all back and more. And I think that that's the sentiment driving the market right now. And until you see an appreciable amount of 
people capitulating. You'll hear that term thrown about a bunch too in the investments world, capitulation. All that means is investors have had enough. They've sold their stocks. There's no more. They're done. Until you start seeing these levels of capitulation, you're probably going to see kind of a weak market. So that's my rambling on sentiment and kind of what I see going on out there just outside of the larger indices. I'll just chime in here. Old man Armstrong, who was alive back in 1999 and 2000 and just come into the business and saw a lot of this crazy hysteria with the tech stocks and pets.com and Webvan and all of these crazy stocks. And everybody is buying them much like people now are buying these crypto, hey, have fun being poor, laser eyes kind of thing. I mean, all that attitude and sentiment existed back then. It's reminiscent of that now. And hey, if you made money in it, great. Look at Mark Cuban. Made a lot of money back in 2000 by selling his company at the high of the market. So great. You made some money. Get out. I just don't think it's an investment thesis that will be taken seriously as seriously going forward as it was maybe six or eight months ago when everything was working. It's so funny you mentioned Pets.com, Dave. Jessica, you know Pets.com. Right. For listeners who don't know, and I even remember this, I was 12, 13 years old when this commercial came out. Pets.com was that sock puppet, very famous. The commercials were ever, I think the 1998 or 1999 Super Bowl, I think they had a very famous commercial during that game. Isn't it kind of odd, a little ironic too? Pets.com was sort of the top of the tech bubble back turn of the century, turn of the millennium. But yet, Dave, what do you order all of your products on? Chewy.com? <laughs> yeah. Your dog products? I'm the same way. It's so weird how things like that work, how a company in a previous bull market bubble that is people laugh at, well, the same company exists today, just in a different form. That's a little ironic. And kind of going back to our crypto theme. I actually think that we're going to look at the markets in 10 or 15 years, and we're going to see some type of analog with Bitcoin or Ethereum or some other coin out there where, oh my God, can you believe that people invested in Bitcoin? Yet there's some other analog 15, 20 years down the line that uses the same type of technology. It's the same concept. So a little ramble that I, when I heard you mention Pets.com. <laughs> so given the drawdowns and the sentiment changes that you guys have been talking about, what does all this mean for an investor? Let's just put some things into context real quick. There's a lot of talk out there about a looming recession. And I've written about this and I've kind of gone out on a ledge a little bit. And I said, hey, listen, I don't think we're in a recession right now. And I don't see one coming anytime soon. Things could change tomorrow. But when you look at everything that are the traditional metrics for looking at a recession, and I'll just use two of them because they're popular and most people know them are the two ISM index, the ISM services index and the ISM manufacturing index. And they're very basic indices. If they're trading above 50 or if they're printing a number above 50, then the economy is in expansion. And if it's below 50, the economy is in a retraction and it breaks it down between services and manufacturing. You can just Google this and see ISM services and ISM manufacturing. Well, the ISM services index right now is at 57. Services at 57 and manufacturing is at 55. So they're both in expansionary territory. So when you look at that, you say like, if the most popular gauge for expansion and contraction is showing that we're in an expansion, how likely is it that a recession is going to pop up out of the blue in the next couple of months? I think that lowers the probability. And you look at some other things and you say, okay, housing and cars are always kind of a big deal. I know there's some issues right now with supply chain with cars and there's some 
fractures developing in the housing market, mortgage rates are going up. So maybe the fuel and the fire is coming down a little bit like that. But overall, housing isn't terrible. I just don't think that we have a looming recession coming up very, very quickly. So Jessica, to your point, what do people do right now? The first thing I'm going to say is do not start to adjust your portfolio for the recession because you don't know when the recession is coming. But I can tell you with 100% assurity that there is a recession coming. You just don't know when. So people should always have their portfolios positioned for a recession. And this is the broken record alert, having cash so you don't have to sell your securities in a downturn because you need liquidity. These are things you do to always be prepared for a recession, but there's nothing you really do to prepare for the recession because you don't know when the recession is coming. It may come in two years and we have the market go up over the next two years before the recession actually happens. So I'll just pause there. I have a quick back to basics question. So you mentioned if manufacturing is above 50 or below 50, and I think you said it was at 57. I forget whatever the yeah, services is. is at 57. I'm rounding. Services is a little over 57 and manufacturing is a little over 55. Okay. So my back to basic question is in your sort of observations over the years, like how quickly could it potentially move from 57 or 55 to 50 or below 50? Great question. So if you go back to February of 20, the services index was at 57 and the manufacturing index was at 50, right on the edge. And then boom, the pandemic happened. And by April, they were both at 41. But that the pandemic was really not really an economic shock. It was the bigger shock than that. But if you go back, I'll just look back at 10 years, you have to go all the way back to 2016 when the manufacturing index traded below 50 prior to that. So it can go down pretty quickly, but not overnight, with the exception of the pandemic. It doesn't happen overnight. It tends to be a trending down, down, down. You see it going down and just going as far back as I can. It's kind of hard on the graph to tell because it charts it at 60 and 40. But I mean, there are times when it goes under 50 and it's a contraction. Doesn't mean a recession's coming, just means like, hey, the economy is in a contraction or those sectors, manufacturing and services. This is what I love about Monument. Let's unpack this a little bit. You're going to get a slightly different take from me. And I'm going to caveat before I go into this that what I say here does not nullify anything Dave just said. And more importantly, it doesn't nullify anything that we do for clients. Okay. It doesn't nullify how we're managing money for clients. I personally think that we are already in a recession. And if not, we're probably pretty close. Let's back up for a second. What is a reset? Like what is the official definition of a recession? Official definition of a recession is the BEA, I believe, is the organization, the Bureau of Economic Analysis. They come out with their GDP stats. They're backwards looking, so you never know you're in one until it happens. But first quarter 2022, the U.S. economy contracted by 1.4%. So we're halfway there. But kind of more importantly, and Dave, you touched on this a little bit, like markets can do anything in that period. S&P's down 15 16%. The NASDAQ is down, what, Dave, 27 28% year to date. Does it matter if we get a quarter of negative GDP growth and then one quarter of 0.1% growth? Does it matter if we're technically in a reset? No, it really doesn't. So all we're talking about is technicalities. 
it's like the S&P crossing on an intraday. And I mean, let's call it what it is. Look, I'm not saying the economy is great. I'm just saying that I don't think it is a foregone conclusion that we're in a recession. And let's just say I'm wrong. It still doesn't change my advice that people shouldn't be adjusting their portfolios now for the recession. That's the really important part throughout all of this for those listening. And this is what I'd say as well. It doesn't dictate how we manage money for clients. The way we manage client portfolios is not predicated on Monument, the asset management team, Dave and myself, predicting recessions. So we can have all this talk and look at the data and say, we're in a recession, we're close to it. I don't think we get there. It's just, we're illustrating the market environment. The advice is gonna remain the same. And I love Dave's writing on this is, you should always be prepared for a recession and not the recession. So that's just never gonna change. And let's just say that there are people out there that have been diligent, who are not clients, but diligently following the advice that we have been espousing for years and years and years, which is have 12 to 18 months of cash. You've been sitting on 12 or 18 months of cash and you've been complaining that, oh, I'm not earning any interest on it or anything, blah, 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 blah. Okay, whatever. Great. Let's just say you've been diligently doing that. And now the market's down 17, 20, maybe these tech stocks down more than that 30% tech sector. Okay, well, if you haven't had to use that money in the past 12 to 18 months, it's just been sitting there, and you don't forecast a need for it for the okay, maybe you should take a look at your asset allocation and take some of that cash and put it into work in some of those things that have been beaten up. I mean, there are options that you have. And then another thing is too, we don't really talk about the fixed income market all that much, but let's talk about it for one second. Because if you've been sitting around and bemoaning the fact that you can't make any interest off of fixed income assets, well, things are starting to look up in terms of taking some of either if you've been sitting on that cash or doing a reallocation, you are going to be able to buy bonds both now and probably into the future, buy and hold them to maturity and get a much higher coupon rate than what you've been getting, or yield to maturity, let's call it, for a much better price and yield than you could have gotten even a year ago. So the fixed income market is starting to look good for people who will potentially get into the fixed income market when yields are higher. That's not bad either. So, I mean, there are some things that people can do outside. People who are on our clients are just listening and saying, what should I be doing right now? I think the hard thing to give people advice on is this. Hey, I don't have 12 to 18 months of cash anymore, and I am forecasting needing X hundreds of thousands of dollars for some project or whatever. What should I do now? Because now my portfolio is down 20%. That's the hard advice to give. So it's either you're worried that the market's going to go down another 15%. So you may as well raise it now. Or you raise it now and all of a sudden the market turns around and comes back. What you're describing is the very real risk of sequence of returns and drawdown. That's when we talk about risk with clients. It's not beta and standard deviation. It's exactly what Dave just described is, oh no, I need to take a large withdrawal from my portfolio after the markets and after my portfolio is down 10, 20, 30%. So for people who are listening right now who are Monument clients. I mean, are we making any changes in our portfolios? I mean, the answer is yes. I'll go back to when we talked about recessions. Are we in a recession? Are we close? Are we going to get there? Yes, no, whatever. The way that we make changes in our portfolios is not predicated on us forecasting recessions because markets can do very different things going into and out of recessions. What we are doing is we are following trends in the stock and bond markets. So for long-time listeners, readers, clients familiar with 
one of the trend following models that we use. We call it flexible asset allocation. We actually haven't held any bonds in that model since January of this year, and it's worked out pretty well for us. We've held stocks in there to some meaningful degree for every month out of the year. And guess what? Those stocks have gone down too, but it's not nearly as bad as you would expect in being solely in something like the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ, anything like that. So we are making changes. We are responding to the environment, but we're doing so sort of in a real-time trend-following based mechanism. All right. I'll wrap up with any parting thoughts from either of you. Anything you want to leave the listener? I just think that one thing for people to keep in mind right now is to understand that the losses hurt twice as much as the gains. On December 31st of last year, the market was up a lot. And everybody's like, oh, great. The market's up. The market's up. Now the market's down 17%. And we're talking about how it's the second worst first 100 days since going back to 1950 on record. You have to go back to 1970 to find the first 100 trading days that are worse than that. So there is a huge emotional and behavioral component to how people feel right now. And it's true because they say you feel twice as bad about losses as you do about gains. And you just look at how well the market did last year. It was up about twice, two times better. So we're only down half as much as what we gained last year and people are freaking out. So keep that in mind because this is going to be very important for every investor to revisit these emotions when at some point, because this will happen, the market will be back at an all-time high. And when it is, that's the time to start asking yourself, geez, what did I wish that I had done last time the market was an all-time high before it went down 20%? Maybe I should be thinking about doing that now. So when the market recovers and is at a high, start running those emotional fire drills and say to yourself, what would happen right now to my situation if the market went down 20% in the next 100 days. Am I ready for that? So to add to what Dave is saying, I mean, if you haven't already, go back and listen to our episode recorded in February this year with Dr. Daniel Crosby, where he talks exactly about this, how your behavior drives your investment returns. Connects exactly with what you're saying, Dave. And Aaron, Aaron what about you? What you about last thoughts? shots there? I'm going to go a little less serious. I'm just going to ask a question. I had a thought here recently. I wonder what type of fan mail Matt Damon's been getting this year. <laughs> and for those who don't know, Matt Damon presumably called the top in the crypto market. If you're watching the Super Bowl this year, very famous crypto.com commercial, somebody the effect of fortune favors the bold. And you see you got Matt Damon hawking crypto. I wonder what Matt Damon's thinking these days and what his fan mail looks like. So a little less serious than Dave's point. I wonder how much of his personal net worth really went into that, or was he just a shill for advertising for all of that? I don't know. I think just everybody remembering, because memories are really short, just to remind everybody, sort of as a parting shot, we saw this exact same thing happen much faster in December of 2018. The market shed 20% in like 10 trading days or something crazy like that. It was Christmas Eve. It was ridiculous. It was awful. And then, geez, everybody's forgotten what it's like to have 20% of their portfolio go away quickly. And here we are again. And I know in two years, if the market's back up, this will be an afterthought to everybody because they'll remember it. And I just think it's important for everybody to look at this and say, if you just don't like this, that's one thing. 
if it's really causing you pain and angst and you have become financially broken because of this, when the market recovers, you need to make some adjustments and get some advice from some people who can keep your behavior in check because I'll go back to the episode with Dr. Crosby, Daniel Crosby, that you just mentioned, Jessica. Go back and listen to that one section. If you don't want to listen to it, go back to my last blog because I basically took the transcript of it and put the most important thing in there, which was human beings just do not see enough data points in the market over their lifetime to be able to draw conclusions about their ability to say, this is going to happen or that's not going to happen. And he uses the example of you get that immediate feedback when you eat a piece of bad meat. You're like, ugh, that tastes terrible. That's immediate feedback. You don't get enough immediate feedback on your decisions as a market timer in order to figure out over a lifetime if you're good at it or bad at it. So don't do it. Well, they've mentioned the blog post, but I do want to encourage everyone to check out Monuments Off the Wall blog. Dave and Aaron have both been writing really great marketing commentary there. I encourage you also to subscribe to the blog as well as this podcast. You can find Monuments blog at monumentwealthmanagement.com. And you can also follow along on our LinkedIn and Instagram pages. So Aaron, thank you so much for joining us for this really timely discussion. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Aaron. All right. And with that, that's a wrap for this episode of Off the Wall. And we look forward to coming back next week with some more interviews. Got some great stuff coming up over the summer, too. So stay tuned for our next episode coming out. The previous presentation by Monument Wealth Management LLC, Monument, was intended for general information purposes only. No portion of the presentation serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice for Monument or any other investment professional of your choosing. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and it should not be assumed that future performance of any specific investment or investment strategy or any non-investment related or planning services, discussion, or content will be profitable, be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation, or prove successful. Monument is neither a law firm nor accounting firm, and no portion of its services should be construed as legal or accounting advice. No portion of this content should be construed by a client or prospective client as a guarantee that he should will experience a certain level of results if Monument is engaged or continues to be engaged to provide investment advisory services. A copy of Monument's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request or at monumentwealthmanagement.com.